Well, good morning. Not really sure what you're talking about, thinking the messages apply to you, because actually these messages are a little bit of like pages from my diary. <laughs> and just when I think that God's done a bit of a work in me and taught me something, a new season comes and he needs to teach me again. So hopefully this morning, as um, some of you have expressed the last few weeks, you'll find this message not too, like a little bit hard to hear, but not hard as in difficult as in defeating, but just that would spur you on to ask God what he wants to teach you and ask God how he can strengthen your life. Um, this morning, um, we're looking at King Herod, very lovely character in the Bible. And as Phil said, we're kind of looking at some of those characters that we think we can't learn from. But some of the best people to learn from are people that are doing things wrong because we can learn how not to do it, which is what I said a few weeks ago, and it's so true. Um, and so we're looking at um, King Herod, not because he's a hero, but because he shows us what happens when we don't stand by our convictions and when we fall for the crowd, when we fall for our tendency to be addicted to approval and when we fear rejection. I was going to start this morning by saying, hello, I'm Rebecca, and I'm an addict. Because I am. When, when you go to an AA meeting or an NA meeting or um, some type of group, you say that not because you're currently falling for, like, using or you're currently drinking, or in my case, I'm currently um, caving to the expectations of people and trying to be approved, but because I know it's a tendency that's always going to be inside that I have to fight against. I'm in recovery. And um, so this morning, hopefully, some of you have never felt rejected or felt that fear of rejection, which comes from often being rejected at some stage. And hopefully, some of you have worked a lot on this sort of um, addiction approval that you might have or the, the, the desire to be approved by people. And you're growing and you can help those around you, not so much around you this morning, but in your world to, to be strong and to stand by their convictions, despite the fact that as human beings, we have this tendency to want to be liked. Is there anyone that wants to put up their hand this morning and say, honestly, I don't care if no one in the world likes me? No, that's good. It works better that way than the other way, right? Because people don't like to put their hand up. But we all occasionally wonder, don't we? We all sometimes wonder, what do others think? Will they still like me? How do I look? But it's when these questions plague us, when we make decisions based on this, when we base our life on other people's opinions and expectations, that's when it's a deadly trap. Proverbs 29, 25 says, The fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Approval addiction isn't a new thing. If you read the Facebook comment this week or you've read your, your messenger comment, I've said to you, it's not a new thing. I'm acknowledging this is not something that comes in our image craze world or because of social media. Some of us think that it's this new fandangled thing because Instagram makes us want what other people have or makes us want to be liked by other people. But it's not true. God wrote about it thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago because so many in the Bible suffered from this same addiction, wanting to be liked, wanting to be approved of. And King Herod was a classic. He was the absolute ruler of the entire Roman Empire. He was the feared overlord of Galilee, where Jesus lived. He built buildings bigger than anyone had ever seen at the time. He built palaces. He built world-class cities like Tiberias. There were modern marvels of the day. I don't think we can even imagine. And many of these places still exist and are toured today. Amazing feats of architecture and power. He was an amazing 
he accomplished man. He was of great stature and he was led by the crowd. He gave way to their pressure to the point of having John the Baptist killed, as we heard so eloquently in the Bible this morning, and Jesus ultimately being killed. And Herod's life is a great example to us, not that we all have power like he does, but we all have that same fear, I believe. And his weakness teaches us this indispensable wisdom that no matter how great a power we have or how little power we have, none of us is immune from the pressure of the crowd, from peer pressure. We like to think that only applies to kids, but we are all subject to peer pressure. It happened to another great king, a great king, King Saul. Saul confessed that his addiction led to his downfall. He says in 1 Samuel 13, 11, I sinned for I was afraid of the people, so I gave in to them. He'd done some great things, but his failure was seeking to please the people. And fear of rejection almost always happens when you've been rejected by someone you're hoping to please. You know, maybe that rejection came from a parent or a school teacher or a member of the opposite sex or a sibling or from a boss. Maybe some of you are a little bit like me, probably a little bit of my fear of rejection came when I was a young kid and I moved, I went to like seven, five schools in seven years. I was always trying to fit in always feeling like I was a little bit on the outer. It took a long time for me to come to terms with the fact that actually didn't have to be in with the crowd to actually be okay. Maybe some of those scars of rejection have come from people in a church, a leader, someone you trusted deeply. And the scars of rejection can look healed over time, can't they? As time goes on, we can think that we're doing better, but sometimes they're just as raw as when they first were inflicted. And it's no use getting told, just get over it. Or as we heard last week, time fixes everything, time heals all wounds. Because actually unresolved um, hurt can take root in our heart, and we heard about that last week. And if you missed last week's message, you should go back and listen to that. But it can cause that deep fear of being rejected. And when this powerful fear takes over, you'll see some harmful effects. And we're just going to look at a few of those effects this morning before we look more closely at the story. It allows others to manipulate us. When you have a fear of rejection, you allow others to mould you into their expectations, their desires, at the expense of God's desires for you and what God wants for you. And often comes as a need to please at any cost. And advertisers in our world play on this all the time. You need to have this. You need to buy this. You need to be like this. We do crazy things we would never do. We buy crazy things we would never have bought because we want people to, to please us. We're manipulated by people's expectations. It also causes us to conform to peer pressure. And we're like that as adults as well as teenagers. Well, maybe I'll just speak for myself and I'm going to tell you a story this morning. I'm not going to name any names, but this um, youngish adult might be over in this part of the congregation. But I had a conversation about two months ago where I was sitting at a table over brunch and I had my phone. This isn't my phone, it's Phil's phone. But I had this cool case, you know, and it's got like cards, so it's, it's all very good. And I had this phone sitting on the table and this beautiful young girl picks it up and she says, you know, they say you can tell a lot about someone's generation by the phone case they have. And they said, if you've got a flip case like this, it means that you're probably like in your 40s or they might have called me a generation Xer. And I took a little bit of offence at that I am in my 40s, but I still took a bit of offence at that. And I said, but it's just so practical because you can just have a few cards and then carry this. And to which they looked at me and they're like, 
that's exactly the point. You choose a case for practicality rather than beauty. Anyway, about a month later, so about a month ago, my phone died and um, I bought a new phone and I was shopping for a new case and my, this is my new case. <laughs> <laughs> no flip. Now, I want to tell you that that's actually more because all the cards are stored on your phone now. But, you know, actually, when I was in there and Phil was looking at these flip cases, I'm not saying I, and I didn't, well, I don't think I did, make the decision because I wanted to be liked or young or popular. But it came into my mind when Phil was looking at the flip cases, you know what I thought? They're for old people. <laughs> so I didn't buy one. And then about two weeks ago, Phil bought a new flip case, so we'll, we'll leave that to you to see what you think about that. But anyway, we conform to peer pressure. We conform to what people think is the right thing. I should have done a survey and see if that actually fits in the room who had a, had a flip case. We don't want to be rejected, or in my case, I don't want people to think I'm old. <laughs> and that might be a funny example. But actually, things that people say stick into our minds. And then when we have to make a decision, about something, sometimes those voices, and this person was harmless and it was very hilarious, but sometimes the, the voices of others and their opinions, sometimes even well-meaning, can take over and stop us from doing what we know is best. Peer, um, peer pressure. The fear of rejection can also keep us from following the truth. Why do you think some people don't tell the truth or shave the truth, especially amongst their peers? Well, generally because it's afraid that if they speak the truth, people will reject them. People won't like them as much. Their opinion will change about them. We crave approval from others and so we don't speak the full truth. We speak half-truths or we don't speak the truth at all. And finally, well not finally, there's two more things that are just some, the tip of the iceberg of what happens when we fear rejection. It prevents us from giving and receiving love. Unresolved past hurts can prevent good future relationships. And next week, we're looking at maintaining good, healthy relationships. And I encourage you to come and be here for that one. But, but if I was hurt by my family, if I, if I was rejected when I was a child, I might not risk getting involved in relationships in the future because I fear that other people will treat me the same way. Mark Twain said it this way. I think it's on the screen. A cat that gets burned from sitting on a hot stove will not only never sit on that hot stove again, it won't sit on any hot stove after that. For the cat, that's good wisdom. But for human beings and relationships, fear of rejection can keep us from good relationships, can keep us from being loved and, as importantly, from loving. And also, fear of rejection silences us from sharing about Jesus. It quiets us from speaking the greatest message we could ever tell our friends, our family, our world, because we're afraid of their reaction. We're concerned that others won't approve of what we believe. Scripture tells us these even happened when Jesus lived, when he was hit there walking among the people. It says in John chapter 12, 42 and 43, that many people believed about Jesus, but they would not admit it for fear of the Pharisees. They were more concerned to have the approval of men than the approval of God. It stopped them speaking up about what they believed because they were fear of, feared being rejected by other people. And we do exactly the same thing when we don't speak up about Jesus because we're afraid of what other people will, will think. Rejection is bad or fear of rejection is bad, right? Yes? 
Fear of rejection is bad. It can affect every area of our life. I'm just going to have a bit of a look at those pass- that passage from Mark chapter 6 about Herod. A great man, amazing man, but an even greater weakness. Last week we heard a bit about a scandal. Phil said it was an M-rated or R-rated message last week. Well, this is a bit of a scandal as well, and thank you, Lynn, for reading it so beautifully. It's a bit of a hard reading to hear and to, to think about. But this palace scandal was taking place. Just north of Galilee, Herod's domain was an area known as Caesar Philippi, and that's where Herod's brother Philip, he was overseeing that area. And Philip was married to the late, this lady, Herodias. And at the time, Herod was still a very eligible, very rich, powerful bachelor. And Herod and Herodias hit it off. And so she packed up her bags and left Philip and moved in with his brother instead. The country was abuzz with the news. Top of the social media feeds this celebrity scandal. And John the Baptist heard about this scandal. And um, in his bachelor days, Herod had often listened to John's spin on things. And as the scripture said, as we heard this morning, what he heard, he often didn't really like. It wasn't pleasant to hear, but he appreciated the wisdom that John brought. Herod felt John overstepped his bounds, though, this time when he said, wife snatching is wrong. You can't steal your brother's wife just because you're a king. Talk about shooting the messenger. (laughs) Pretty obvious. Of course you can't steal your brother's wife, but he didn't want to hear that. And Herodias specifically, she didn't like John. She didn't like the messages that that Herod was getting, and she convinced her new love, Herod, to have him imprisoned. And that's where I'm going to read from to refocus us this morning, from verse 19. Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to kill him, but she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing he was a righteous and holy man, and he protected him. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he liked to listen to him. Finally, the opportune time came. On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. In other words, everyone he wanted to impress the people he wanted the approval of, his peers. Verse 22, When the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. The king said to the girl, Ask me for anything you want and I'll give it to you. And he promised her with an oath, Whatever you ask, I will give you, up to half my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, What shall I ask for? The head of John the Baptist, she answered. Herod regretted making that promise, but he felt he had to keep it because he made it in front of all these distinguished guests and he made it to people he wanted to please, to his girlfriend and her daughter. Because of the pressure of the crowd, King Herod ignored his own conscience. He went against the desire of his heart. He knew what was right and yet he violated that because he wanted to please those who were around him. He wanted to impress those who were around him. He didn't want to be rejected by them. And he sacrificed a close advisor. You know, every single one of us is susceptible to peer pressure and not the type of pressure that influences your phone case choice, but the pressure that causes you to make decisions that don't line up with your values, that don't line up with God's best for us. No matter who we are, whether we're a CEO or employee, a parent or a child, a student, we all have to make hard decisions at some point. And each time we're faced with a decision, will we please others or our peers. Often they don't align, not perfectly. At that moment, our fear of rejection slams into our fear of the Lord. 
And this is a great verse. I read it earlier, that 29 verse 25, Proverbs 29, 25. The fear of man is a snare, but those who trust in the Lord are safe. The fear of man, being afraid of what he thinks, of what he would do, is a snare. It's a trap. And the way to safety, to security, is trusting in the Lord. But how do we overcome the powerful influence of our peers, of the crowd? We want to make the right choice. None of us are living out to live the worst life possible, but it's hard. And so this morning, we're just going to quickly look as we finish at three ways that we can, um, when it comes to a critical decision, we can come out strong. And the first point I feel like comes up in every fourth or fifth sermon I, I preach as the point, but I think it's the overarching message of Scripture And it's number one, put God first. Put God in first place. The most important step in overcoming rejection is to know who God is in your life. David says in Psalm 27, The Lord is my light and my salvation. I will fear no one. Because the Lord is my light and my salvation, I will fear no one. Have a think about what that means. Light. What does light do? Well, light illumines, doesn't it? It makes things brighter. It helps us see things more clearly. Actually, the word illumine means it brings understanding and insight. When God brings understanding and insight to our life, I will fear no one. Most of us would agree that the light is better than the dark, right? We do smarter things in the light. I did something pretty dumb in the light on Monday. I got up early in the morning when it was still dark and I had my clothes to go for my walk on the side of my bed. I put them on. I met Chloe downstairs. Chloe and I walked up our mountain and came back. And when I walked back in my room, I saw I had a tail. My um, tights were on inside out and I had this big, long tagged like hanging out like Chloe had said nothing Phil thought it was hilarious but Chloe had said nothing but I got dressed in the dark and then I didn't look behind to notice my tights were inside out but in the light that would never have happened I'm basically telling you all my dumb things this (laughs) this morning (laughs) but we all do dumb things right and we do dumber things in the dark than we do in the light where we can see more clearly light illumines it's better than the dark light also protects Maybe in your house you have a light that comes on outside, a sensor m- motions light. Is that what they're called? When someone approaches and it lights up because you think actually when it's light, people are less likely to break in. I watched a scary movie earlier in the week and I watched it in the afternoon while it was still light because, you know, things don't lurk in the, in the shadows in the light. That only happens in the dark. So it's much safer to watch a scary movie in the light. So light illumines. It gives us understanding. It shows us things more clearly. It protects, gives security. But light also energises, doesn't it? I don't know if you've ever been round to a friend's house or to a spouse, to a spouse, or you've wanted to cheer someone up and they've been upset and sitting in a dark room. What's the first thing you do? You go and you open the blinds and you let the light in. It energises, gives, gives happier feelings automatically. David says in his relationship with God, it was like that. He said God helped him to see things more clearly so he didn't have to be afraid. He gave David the security he needed to be okay, whatever happened. God was there with him. And he energised his life. He gave him hope. He gave him joy. Do you have a relationship with God like that? 
David made mistakes, but when he placed God first in his life, he never fell in the trap of peer pressure and he was directed by God. It's when he took his eyes off that light that he stuffed up as well. Is God your light? Or are you trying to find that from people around you or someone around you? That's when we fall in the trap of addiction, approval addiction. And what about this word salvation? The Lord is my light and my salvation, I will fear no one. What's, why salvation? Well, when you look at David and David's theology, what he understood about God and salvation, for David, he would say that salvation to him means no matter what happens, God will always love me. No matter what happens, God will always love me. No matter what, God will be my rescuer. God is dependable. God is there. He knew his God to be his light, but also his salvation. He knew that nothing could separate him from the love of God, as Romans tells us. He knew a God that would never desert him, never forsake him, as we learn in Hebrews. And for us, it ultimately doesn't matter. I know it feels yuck, but ultimately it doesn't matter if someone else rejects us because God never will. He will always love us. He will always accept us. He will always hold us. And as Phil shared earlier, our confidence comes from knowing that God loves us. God isn't just the light, our director, our security, but he's also our intimate partner, someone who loves us deeply. Psalm 119 says, Show me how much you love me, Lord. Then I can answer those who insult me. I know I'm tended to think, God, give me wisdom and clever answers so that I can answer people. But David says, no, show me how much you love me so then I can answer those who insult me. You know, focusing on God's approval isn't easy, but it certainly simplifies life. 2 Timothy 2.15, Paul says, For yourself, for Timothy, he was saying, and I think it's good advice for us as well, concentrate on winning God's approval. Make it your focus. Concentrate on winning God's approval. Because when we please God, we always get it right. Have you realised by now that you can't please everybody? Has everyone realised that? That you can't please everyone. That not everyone is going to like you. I think I was about 28 before I realised that, that not everyone liked me and that was sad. But it comes to a wonderful place when we actually acknowledge, you know, we can't please everyone all the time. Even God can't please everyone all the time. Because today in the same places people are praying for sunshine and warmth and rain. God can't please everyone all the time, so why do we expect to please everyone all the time? So the Bible tells us, put God in first place and let everything fall into place after that. Secondly, put people in their place. Now, some of you might be thinking, that's the best thing you've said all morning. <laughs> I'm going to go and put people in their place. So I've actually put up here what I mean by this so that you can make sure you have this in writing. I am not saying to be rude, ungracious or discourteous. <laughs> I'm talking about putting others' opinions in their rightful place. That means having the right perspective and not overvaluing what people say. God first. Then evaluate other people's opinions based on what God says. We can't assume that when other people pass judgment, their words are the infallible truth straight from God. We need to hold them up against God's word. Hold them up against what God says about us. Talk to God about it. 
and then listen to people. Put people's opinions, their thoughts in their place. Isaiah 51, the Lord says, I am the one who strengthens you. Why should you fear mortal man? We don't use that word mortal very often, but it's a great word here because that word mortal reminds us that people's opinions, people's lives are temporary. They soon pass away. But it's God's opinion that outlasts them all. Paul says, and now am I trying to win the approval of man or God? If I was still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. If I'm trying to please men, then I'm not a servant of Christ. In serving God, hopefully most of the time we will please men, but if that's my aim, then I'm not pleasing God. It's God or people, Paul says. I have a choice, people or God. Now you might ask, will I ever stop caring about people's opinions? I've asked that question a lot to some of my coaches and mentors. Will I ever stop caring about what people think? And honestly, I think probably not. I think it's almost impossible not to be affected by the opinions of those who live around us. It's right to be affected by them. But I believe we can grow to a place where we're no longer directed by other people's opinions. Do you get the difference? We can be affected but not directed. In other words, where we choose to be directed by God and what God wants, we won't cave to people's expectations and what they want. We can grow into a place where we're affected, still maybe, but not directed by them. We don't make our decisions based on them. We make our decisions based on what God wants. And finally this morning, putting God first, putting other people's opinions and perspectives in their right place where they sit. But also we need to put ourselves in the proper place. Some people think of themselves more highly than they ought to think. But for many people, they think far too lowly of themselves. I would suggest that not many of us see ourselves completely with God's eyes. Very few of us realise how unique we are, how valuable we are to God, how much we're really loved by God. And although God values us highly, when we don't value ourselves highly, we can look to other people for that value rather than looking direct to the one who made us and loves us just the way we are. Herod would have stood by his convictions if he'd simplified his life and thought, I would do only what pleases God and that will be enough because I'm his child. Show me how much you love me, Lord. And then I can answer those who insult me. Maybe some of us need to pray that prayer today. Show me how much you love me. Perhaps some of us need God to remind us how valuable we are to him, that we're loved beyond measure. Maybe we need that affirmation directly from him today that we've been trying to seek elsewhere. You know, when we put God in first place, others in their place, ourselves in the rightful place, often more highly than we think of ourselves, we can stand firm in the conviction that God is enough, that what he wants for us is good and do that regardless. We can be no longer directed by others but still be in relationship with others. It's possible. This morning, I just want to encourage you to choose God's plan above others' expectations. That's what we learn from Herod.
And we're going to use this song to help us that Anne started playing this morning. And the words say, Wash from my hands the dust of earthly striving. Take from my mind the stress of secret fear. And I don't know about you, but I probably haven't heard many people speak about the fear of rejection. <laughs> Although it's something that most of us, to some degree, face. It's a bit secret. But God does work in that secret place. Take from my mind the stress of secret fear. Cleanse thou the wounds but from all but thee far hidden. Those things we haven't even shared with other people. Cleanse those wounds. Heal those wounds. Maybe that's your prayer this morning. In verse 2 says, Light, life and love are in that healing fountain. The light of God is in the healing fountain. All I require to cleanse me and restore, flow through my soul, redeem its desert places and make a garden there. For the Lord, I adore. For the Lord, I think most highly of. For the Lord who I want to obey, regardless of what the crowd tries to tell me. We're going to sing, if you like, these words this morning. I might try to whisper them out. You can look at the screen at the words would help to come to the place of prayer and to pray this morning, asking God for, not just for wisdom, but to remind you of his love, his affirmation of you. And I invite you to do that as we pray and sing this morning. <laughs>